Hello, and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad Statistics website, and I'm joined by Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. We're going to discuss the two Ireland squads that were announced today. Stephen Kenny has announced a squad of 25 players to take on the formidable duo of France and the Netherlands, and the under-21 manager Jim Crawford has likewise named a squad of 25 players to face Turkey and San Marino in Cork's Turner's Cross. Phil, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, how have you been? Joe, all good. Good to talk to you. Yeah, looking uh, Yeah, looking forward to the international break, as painful as it may be, but like still always looking forward to it. It's one of the signs that the, the end of the year is coming a little bit closer. You know, the Champions League draw has been made, the kids go back to school, and uh, the September international break comes along. Kick off! Stephen Kenny announced the squad uh, earlier today. Not too controversial, I think. Um, there's one or two players that you might question their inclusion. There's not too many players you kind of think that aren't in the squad that should be in the squad. Phil, like, what was your reaction when, when you saw it? Well, initially when I saw the squad, the two surprise from uh, whoever was left out was uh, Troy Parrott and O'Dowda. But I actually thought it originally... Uh, I thought he had left them out, but it's come to pass since when he gave his press conference that Odawda is injured. I wasn't aware of that. And um, Paris it hasn't been included down to fitness because I thought Paris did okay the last couple of games for, with his cameos. Besides that, really, there's no real surprises. You know, it's it's the same kind of squad that he's picked the last two times out. It's the, it's a settled squad now. It's a settled team. There's nothing really there. He's not going to be doing anything too drastic coming up to these two games because so much depends on them and not just the points but the manner of the results as well because we're all expected to maybe come away from Paris with nothing but it's how we do that. So I suppose the big talking points really, we'll get to them obviously, is I was would imagine the fullbacks but his hand has been forced in them. So Pretty close to my initial reactions as well. I mean, you said yourself on Twitter the three goalkeepers are fairly settled. There hasn't really been anyone who's put their hand up for inclusion. You could possibly make an argument for Max O'Leary ahead of Cuevin Kelleher, but Kelleher is fairly established in the squad at this stage. Personally, I do think he needs to get a move out of there before the transfer window closes tomorrow, as we record. But barring injury or suspension, those three goalkeepers are probably going to be the three goalkeepers he selects until the end of his time in charge. Yeah, just just on the Kelleher thing. Now, I could be miles off here, but at the end of last season and at the, during the summer, there was definitely murmurs that Kelleher was going to be let go and there was a price put around roughly £25 million. You know, I think even Klopp had a few comments about him leaving. And that just kind of died all of a sudden once the transfer window opened. Now, it's, it's pure speculation on my part, but I do wonder, are they considering letting Allison go next transfer next summer because there was talk that he was being looked at by a couple of the Saudi clubs. He demanded a huge fee. They've got a long time out of him. And obviously it's very hard as we've seen to turn down the money because it's lucrative. They'll make their transfer fee back, they'll probably make a profit on him. And I'm just wondering, is that in the back of their heads and is that why the talk of Kiwi and Kelleher's move gone very quiet? Because they have nearly a ready made success of there. It's just speculation on my part, but that wouldn't surprise me one bit. Because as you can see, 
the one thing that the the Saudis have shown everyone is is that everybody has a price and clubs are willing to to deal when when silly money is offered up. It's interesting. It's a it's a possibility. Look, Allison, he's not going to stay at Liverpool forever. I mean, no no player does, as we've seen just in this in this transfer window. And Kelleher, he's been there long enough that he's the obvious successor. And with the size of the transfer fee, a player like Allison would command, especially if it's to uh, a club in Saudi Arabia who are spending, as you say, silly money that could possibly be invested elsewhere in the pitch. It's just one to keep an eye on because just the, the chatter kind of died all of a sudden and never came back round for a player that we were all nearly sure was going to be on the move at the end of last season. Not, not just for his international career, but for his, his club career. I mean, um, when you think that Kevin Pizzunu is you know nearly three years younger than him and has five times the career appearances, Kelleher is 22 and uh, Pizzunu has 125. It's, it's hard to make an argument for him to start ahead of the Southampton goalkeeper. There's absolutely no argument. And Bazuna's manager at Southampton has come out and backed him, you know, vigorously over the last week or two, which was great to see. Like, he, he is still so young, but every game he plays, he, you know, he's going to learn something and he, hopefully he'll mature. He's going to mature into the keeper we all think he'll, he'll become, which is, which is at the very top level. But he's, a, he's an absolute shoe in to start against both France and the Dutch. Yeah, I think so. Okay, if we look in defence, I mean, what leaps out straight away is James McLean's inclusion. You know, the first uh, League Two player to be called into an Ireland team since I think Callum O'Dowda was named by Martin O'Neill for the final friendly before Euro 2016 against Belarus in Cork. He's only played half an hour of football for Wrexham as we record he's returned from injury during the week for their uh, their league cup tie and true to form six minutes after coming on for his first appearance for Wrexham he got his first yellow card look we know what we're going to get out of James McLean at this stage um, at 34 he's still a model professional but expecting him to play against the squads that have been named by France and by the Netherlands is possibly a bit much it's a massive step up for the entire Ireland squad but it's even bigger for someone who's playing at League 2 level. Obviously, Seamus Coleman is still unavailable. And as you say, Callum Madauda was confirmed to be injured in the press conference. So that's two more uh, options, either at fullback or wingback, depending on the, the formation that he plays. You know, looking down through it, I think he'll, he'll be looking at a back three of Egan, O'Shea and Collins with Lenehan and Duffy as backup. And then possibly Enda Stevens or Ryan Manning on the left. With Darty is unavailable for the first game, but I'd say he'll probably will play against the Dutch. Does that mean that Festi Ebaselli will uh, finally get his debut more than a year after he should have, in my opinion, been given his first cap in June of last year? It, again, it all depends on formation. I'd, like, we can go into it after, but I have a sneaky suspicion he's going to move to a back four because for the last few games, the main chat's been that the the back three has not been working. The midfield cannot protect that area in front of the players and maybe a diamond will be more suited. And really, when you look at the makeup of the squad, possibly playing a flat back four might be better suited. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't know. I just have a sneaky suspicion. And I totally agree with you about Festi, but the wild card there is he does like playing Adam Brown at right back every now and again or right wing back. So... You may see Alan Brown there. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw him start there against France. 
Kenny's still keeping us guessing after three years. Just on the the James McLean involvement, I had this conversation with someone last week, and they said, "Oh, you know, <clears throat> you know, he's in League Two; he shouldn't be in the team or whatever." But I asked, "What's actually changed for James McLean, bar the team he's playing for? Like, since he last played for Ireland, has his footballing ability or fitness?" declined that much that he can't be included in this squad because that's what the manager would be looking at like it's nearly irrelevant that he's playing for Wrexham he he could probably be playing for anyone professionally if he was in the if he had gone back to Derry I would guarantee you he would be still in the squad and still have a chance of coming on because at the end of the day there's been no great decline since his last game so that's basically why he's been involved is he good enough to start absolutely not He's he's way too indisciplined. Uh, when we played France the last time, they basically kind of tried to barge through the, the centre of the pitch and they didn't really attack our flanks until the second half. Like, if they saw him starting and they got at him, they would, they would rip us apart. So, he can't. So, you'd imagine it would be Ryan Manning to come at left-back, but I can see why McLean's been, been included. Yeah, fair point. James is at the stage of his career now where he's maybe got two years left, but... He's been a model professional throughout his career and, you know, he's taking great care of himself that he can, he can still play at this level this late in his career. So I can understand his inclusion, but I would struggle to name another player who was playing at that level that would be included in, in, in an Ireland squad. No, I think it's just that it's come so close to the start of the season. If you were, if these were, if, if there was no games now and we skipped straight to the November game, then he would probably not be involved. But it's just the, it's just that the games have landed so close to the start of the season. He's fully fit. What's the difference? It, you know, his last three games were in, in League One. You know, his next two or three games are in League Two. But they've, they've all come close together. There's not a big gap between them. So, like, I can see it. Whereas if, say, these games weren't on and it was November and he had knocked up 10 or 12 appearances in League Two and there's players ahead of him in, in the championship playing, then... Obviously, yes, you'd be seriously questioning his involvement in the squad at all, but it's just the way the fixtures have fallen from. I would imagine this is the beginning of the end. I know we've said it a few times, but this this is the beginning and the end, and past Christmas, I, I'd say that's it for James McLean in an Ireland shirt. Possibly for the manager as well, but we'll, we'll leave that for a, another day, maybe. Looking at midfield then, I mean, you can make the same argument for Jeff Hendricks' inclusion as you did for James McLean's uh, because he is very much persona non grata at Newcastle. They're looking to get him off the books. He's Champions League, Jeff Hendricks. Champions League, Jeff Hendricks, exactly. He only named seven players in, as midfielders in the squad. You could probably say that in defence, McLean, Manning and Ebiselli could easily have been named as midfielders. Just, you know, we mentioned formation there. Is there think there's a possibility he could go with five across the middle in midfield if he goes four across the back because France are going to dominate possession uh, in Paris. That's a controversial statement. And if we don't want to get overrun, putting bodies in the way could just be the, I don't want to say the obvious solution, but it could be a solution. And I know it comes at the cost of someone up front to support. Presumably Evan Ferguson will start. It, it, it is possible. I suppose that the problem area that Stephen Kenny's really had in figure and out during his time as Ireland manager is this link between midfield and attack, unless he's playing direct wingers. Like, 
he's brought in McGrath, he's brought in Sykes. There's there's been a couple of other, like he's 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 basically settled for Knight as the most advanced player as the link up with with the legs. But it's always been a problem position that he's never really figured out. And it kind of got worse then when we went to three five two or whatever kind of three five we were playing. So like four five one is a possibility with Knight in the more advanced role. It is a, it is a possibility. Our midfield is fine, but there's not I would say there's not a lot of creativity in our midfield. We like okay, so Smallbone has a, a fairly good range of passing, but he's he's all about legs and moving the ball quickly. You'd argue Malumbi the same. Knight would be technically good, but again, there's not a huge amount of goals in midfield. And Cullen, you know, plays as a six or whatever and tries to dic- dictate play. McGrath won't really see much time, so it's just looking at the midfield. It just looks—I don't want to say boring, but it just looks a bit flat. It's probably our weakest spot in the pitch now. Which a couple of years ago, when we looked at the likes of Malumbi and, and Knight coming through, we thought maybe it would be our strongest. I think if I asked you to pick our best midfielder out of the seven that are there, you'd struggle a little to do it because there's no one player that's outstanding. Now, the opposite side of that is that there's no one, you know, you, I don't think you could pick the worst player in midfield either. Um, but the, they're all very much, very much of a muchness. Cullinan has a good range of passing. Small, sort of small one. He's, he's a little bit slight. McGrath gets about a bit. He is a, he is a, a bit of a goal threat as well. Uh, Malumbi, great runner, great engine on him, but he, can be a bit rash in the tackle. You know, you can apply the same characteristics to, to Brown and, and to Hendrick as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with what you said, that the midfield is is a little flat. It's just that there's no one outstanding player in midfield that could, you know, that could drag us to the next level. So I know we're going to discuss the under-21 uh, squads later on, but looking at their squad, you kind of say the same thing about them. You'd wonder what player in midfield would be the, the one to drag us or to bring us to that next level. You've got three young players in there, Malumbi, Knight, and, and Smallbone as well, so it's not like it's an ageing midfield. It's it's actually a well, like, and you've Cullen, who is, what, 26, 27. It's like, it's well-balanced age-wise. But I suppose the other problem is, the link-up man has always been a problem. Knight has done a good job at times, because he's got the legs. But the other problem is, and it's kind of just another reason I think they might change, tweak formation slightly, is, is we just can't protect our back three and Cullen. We're so open in the centre. Now, against France last time out, we kind of, we did okay. They didn't have as many chances, but I suppose they still scored from the centre of the pitch. But it's it's an area that we've looked really fragile in. So he needs to try and figure that out first and then work from there up the pitch. And I suppose now you've Evan Ferguson as well to to try and work around. So he's... There's a lot of tinkering to do with that team for the for both games. I think you could see two very different setups against France and the Dutch. Obviously, the French game is away, but it's by no means a settled starting eleven there for the France game. There's four or five places up for grabs there. And then if we look, you know, at the at the forwards, I mean, you'd say that Ferguson will almost certainly start if we're playing a four-five-one. I think he looked very isolated in that home game against France. He'd one or two maybe nice touches, but I don't think he had a, a real clear goal-scoring opportunity. Um, on the other hand, if we do play with two up front, say with maybe Adam Ida or Aaron Connolly or Ogbeni, then we're sacrificing a, a maybe a, an extra body in midfield. So 
I mean, he could go do something completely unexpected and maybe start Ida or Ogbene and bring Ferguson on. I don't think he survives not playing Evan Ferguson, not starting Evan Ferguson anymore. I think Evan Ferguson has to start. I think there'd be so much about it if he didn't. I think he deserves to start as well. You know, he's he's shown his ability and he's shown that... He's basically what we thought Aaron Connolly and Troy Parrott and Adam Ida were going to be when they first came on the scene. He's actually done it a lot earlier and he's shown to us what that's going to look like on a consistent basis because he scored so many goals and he's played so well last season and he's he's had his first start in the league already. There, there was no question that he wasn't going to start in the league in, within the first few games. Whereas back in the day with Parrott and Connolly and and Ida, when they were playing, you were wondering, would they be in or would they be out? Whereas with Ferguson, you nearly expect it now. So I think Ferguson has to start up front because he's our best player up front. He's quality. Going through the rest of them, Ogbené is back in. That We need pace. You know, if we are going to play backs against the walls against France, you're going to need some sort of pace. So we might see him start. The one that that I never understand is Will Keane, because the last time Will Keane was needed, they brought Shane Duffy on before him and played him up front. I just don't understand his his involvement, but I put it down to a lack of a, a lack of other options, basically. Because other than Parrot, who else are you going to include in that striker's line? Mikey yeah. Johnson obviously will be in the team and will put a whole different perspective on the attacking line if he was if he was fit, but he's not. Of a family as well. If if any of those were available, then yeah, we probably wouldn't see Will Keane in the, in the squad. Although he did have a good start to the season with Preston. So again, looking at the midfield and looking at the strikers, and basically kind of half predicting how it's how the game is going to go against France. France are going to have a lot of the ball. We're going to be back on the thirty yard line, and we are going to try and have to either hit the ball high with the link up of. Knight and Ferguson, or maybe try and use the flanks. And with Ogbené and Ebiseli, you've got you've got big speed there. So they're really the two options you're looking at for atta- attacking wise. So it's it's genuinely hard to predict how it'll go. I think that's probably one of the hallmarks of Stephen Kenny's time in charge. You've got the inability to predict his starting eleven. I think there's there's a couple of players you could say are certain are certs. But, but there's be, always yeah. three or four positions in the team where you genuinely don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, well, just just quickly for the France game, Bazudu and goal nailed on. Egan and Collins, I would say nailed on. Cullen and Knight, or Cullen and Malumbi and Ferguson. You you four or five spaces there. Like, is there a possibility Daryl Daryl Shea can play left back, can't he? I think he played both full-back positions, I think. Yeah, so t- like, you could see Darrow O'Shea play left-back and James McLean play, play ahead of him if it was a four. And you could see Obaselli and maybe Ogbené. It's it's hard to know. He doesn't know himself. It's <laughs> 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 <Just> possible. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, Hopefully John O'Shea knows. <laughs> yeah. And then even looking ahead to the Dutch game, you know, you'd think... Darty will come in. There's been a little bit of talk on the on the Ireland forums that Egan could get rested because he's on two yellows, and if he gets booked against the French, he won't play against the Dutch. But I don't think he'll go that far. I think Egan is he's he's talked before that Egan is 
almost central to how he, he wants to build play from the back that he's just such, such a good passer of the ball. He has to play and it's up to it's up to Kenny to pick a midfield that's going to protect that defence and not have Egan Roman too far out making silly challenges. It's up to Kenny to do that. So I, I think he definitely plays. And the, the quality of the cover is there if he does go because O'Shea and Collins are two two really good defenders and Lenehan. And and Shane Duffy, he's gone to a team where he's obviously impressed, got reassurances and he started the season really well and he's playing week in, week out. And I would absolutely have Shane Duffy in the squad playing week in, week out because he's a character and never mind that, never mind the fact that you can throw him up, up front. He is dependable. He might be dependable all the time, but he is dependable a lot of the time. He's got more good attributes than bad attributes, let's put it that way. I think he's one of those players that needs games, and yeah. that's what he hasn't gotten over the last two, maybe even three seasons. But the move to Norwich seems to have revitalised him. I think Norwich are definitely going to challenge at the top of the table in the championship, and he's going to be a big part of that. And I mean, look, I'm, I'm glad to see him back in the squad, genuinely. You know, if we go through the depth of the squad, is there anyone you think that should be there? I see a lot of... Um there's a lot of chatter on on the bird app today about Sammy Sammy Smodakis from Blackburn. I know he's he had a good season last season, but again we've been talking about the this problem position of link man. He is an attacking midfielder, but you're you're not gonna give him his first competitive cap away to France or at home to the Dutch. Yeah. One player I thought had a chance of a call up is Austin FC's John Gallagher. He's playing regularly for the MLS side. He's creating chances and he's scoring goals. Uh, he was their representative in the MLS All-Star team that played Arsenal during the Premier League pre-season. So I think there's very little more he could do to, to merit a call-up uh, while he's playing uh, in the USA. Uh, but doesn't appear to be in the manager's thoughts at all. No, I doubt he's even being looked at, to be honest with you. Like, you, you do wonder what, at this stage or phase of Kenny's tenure as Ireland manager, just how much he is looking at new players that wouldn't be involved in the under 21s. I know that sounds a bit daft, but he's, you know, he's in self-preservation mode for the last year, and these are two, three huge games coming up. He's not really going to be looking, unless someone came on the scene and was, like Evan Ferguson did, he's not really going to be looking elsewhere, I don't think, because he's he has a fairly settled 30 players. I'm moving away from the squad and looking at the two fixtures and the, the results. It's, I think, an optimistic uh, view. We say we might get one point out of the two games. I don't think anyone thinks we're going to get anything off the French in Paris. They have a formidable squad. They have a ridiculous recent record. And... You know, I don't think this squad, this team and this manager are going to come away with a, a win. But do you think that zero points in the two games will be the end of his time in charge? I, yes. Zero points from two games, yes. Yeah, I think so. And I'm looking at that New Zealand game as well that was thrown in there. For what purpose, I don't know. Because is that New Zealand game after the Greece game? Yeah, we don't play the final fixture in the group. The same night that uh, we play uh, New Zealand, France are playing Greece in Athens and the Netherlands are going to Faro to play Gibraltar. So unless we're three points ahead of the Netherlands before that game, we're not going to be finishing ahead of the Dutch. 
Yeah, it's just it's a it's a, I suppose they wanted a game. It's it's an international break, but I think they may be seeing that as an opportunity as well. If things go totally pear shaped for Kenny in the next two games, that that could be an opportunity to to unveil someone. Maybe I'm just thinking ahead here now. I'm thinking in worst possible case scenario. To be honest, I don't think we're going to get any points from the two games. I think there's no there's no shame in not getting any points from France away. It's France away. I know Greece gave them a bit of a going, but succumb to them eventually. Um, it's the manner of how we go out and play. Usually we, we kind of play okay. We've played okay against the big teams under Kenny away from home. We saw with Portugal and that. Um, Serbia, we were unlucky with the, just so long ago now, but with the, the keeper error from Travers, but I think what will do the most damage is, is the Dutch game. And I, I'm hearing this about the Dutch. The Dutch aren't great, you know, and they haven't been great, but they have killers in the team. Like, it is a team of big names, and Coleman needs a win, you know. They're not that happy with them. They haven't been playing well. They got pasted by France. He needs a win. We concede an awful lot of goals at home, especially from range, and I think we're nearly the, the perfect opponents for them because we're not minnows yet and a, a one or a, a two or three nil win against us away from home will be something that he can take to the bank you know just going through their squad there like players that stand out they've De Vrij, they've Van Dijk obviously Van Dijk hasn't started the season that well they've Ake De Ligt um, Botman Botman you know Botman's been great for Newcastle Barrett the last game with his mistakes Van de Ven has got off to a flyer with Tottenham I won't go through the whole squad, but again, Dion, Coop Myers, um, Depay is getting, not like Atletico are absolutely banging in goals. Depay is there uh, doing that. Up front, I suppose, is where they don't have that much firepower, but they still have Gakpo, um, Matson's there from Chelsea. So, like, there's enough in the team to score a couple of goals against us. And if we go a goal down against the Dutch, it's, it's, it's going to be fairly deflating. So, a very long-winded answer, but I think no points and he gets the chop. Brutally no honest. Yeah. Well, that would mean, if Stephen Kenny doesn't make it to the end of the month still in charge, it'll probably mean a caretaker in charge for the two games in October at home to Greece and away to Gibraltar, uh, which isn't the worst introduction to international football before we go to Amsterdam in November to play the Netherlands and then uh, finish the year with a home game against New Zealand. So three of those last four games are winnable. One is almost certainly um, a win. So that could be attractive to a potential candidate. No, maybe they don't. Like, I could be wrong. Maybe they, they, they stick with them for the October games as well because they are so close. But I, I still would stick with my prediction and no points against the two teams. And again, they're two very good teams. It all depends on the manner of how they play because... You know, the FAI, they think in terms of financials as well, and I see they've grouped the New Zealand ticket with the Greece ticket now. You lose your next two games poorly. Like, the gloss has gone off it, really. You know, it's, you know, for, for the first two years, it was, it was exciting because all these players were coming through and there was a buzz, but that buzz is definitely gone. We talked about in the last pod, even like the, the staunchest Kenny supporters are kind of, I wouldn't say getting fed up, but they're not exactly, you know, there's nothing exciting, there's nothing new. So the FAI would have been looking at that for the last four or five months as well, like we have been. I'm wondering if there is a replacement to be made, who will they get? And they'll be looking at timelines and when to bring them in and, 
And as you said, there's a couple of games there at the end of the year that aren't too bad. So it's, again, this is all worst case scenario. There was, there'd be nothing more than I'd love for us to go and stifle the, the French nil all and maybe draw with the Dutch as well or even, even nick a goal. You know, there's always hope, but it's just on form and everything else. It just points to, it points to no points, I'm afraid. Doesn't Sorry, I'm such a downer, everybody. Uh, no, it's not just, it's, uh, are you being a downer or are you being realistic? You know, what's the positives, I would say, or the, the maybe something we can look at is the Dutch have lost four of their last five games. Okay, one of them was on penalties against Argentina, and Croatia took them to extra time in the Nations League in June. Their only win this year was at home against Gibraltar, which you would expect them to win. You know, before that loss to Argentina in December, they hadn't lost in more than a year since the tuna lost to, uh, to Chechia in June of 2021. So I don't really fancy our chances against the Dutch. I think we'll, we'll all have half an eye on their game against Greece the same night that we play France just to see how they get on against uh, a Greece team that frustrated us and frustrated France and are you know currently second in the table in in our group and pushing for automatic qualification to the uh, to the European Championships. Just on the Dutch game, I think we do concede so many goals. We concede to bigger teams at home. And if you were to ask me, if, if the Dutch went 1-0 up, would we score two? It's It's just very hard to see. I think our best bet would be obviously the old school way of just keeping it tight and get maybe getting a draw, but that's the worry. I'd be nearly more confident that we keep a clean sheet against France because we're going away with the mentality of we can't concede first. Whereas at home, the team will, will be slightly pressured to play a more expansive attacking game because we're the home team. And that's where you can get caught out. And if they do get caught out, that's where, that's just the big worry. We, you know, it's, we, Lithuania, we kept a clean sheet. Gibraltar, Scotland, the 3 0, but not many others besides that. The biggest one, I suppose, back a couple of years ago was the Portugal game. But that, that was it really. So that's, that's the big worry. Yeah, uh, it's a, it's a definite possibility. What's your prediction for the, the two games? Points? Uh, I think zero is a, a real possibility. I can't see us getting more than one. But I think we'll have a good performance against the Dutch. You know, you mentioned the home game against France, but we have also had, you know, good home performances against uh, against Portugal, against Serbia. But like you say, if we go one nil down against the Dutch, I don't see us scoring two. And if we go one down early against the Dutch, I can see the crowd turning on the manager. It's been building over the last twelve months, maybe even longer than that, and. If he's, if he's lost the crowd, then, you know, he's definitely not long for the national team job. Yeah. Bit more positive uh, with the under-21s, though. Yeah, we can move on to the under-21s. After Stephen Kenny announced his team, the under-21 manager, Jim Crawford, named a 25-player squad for their first two qualifiers for the 2025 European Under-21 Championship. Both games taking place in Cork's Turner's Cross. Uh, we'll be facing Turkey and San Marino in the two games. Uh, San Marino have actually already opened their qualifying campaign with a tuna loss to Latvia in June. You know, there's uh, a number of players getting their first call-up to the Under-21 side. 
I'm not really sure who he's going to give the nod to in goals. I think it'll be either Killian Cahill or Josh Keeley, and it could possibly be uh, each player will get one game each. Brighton, obviously, as we know, have a, an excellent recent record of signing promising under, Irish underage talent and bringing them through to their, their first team. So it'll be interesting to see how Cahill progresses at the Amex Stadium. In defence, Udinese fullback James Abanqua is, is a regular in their on their match day squad, but he hasn't played yet this season and is rumoured to be going to Charlton Athletic on loan. Sam Curtis, he was only 17, uh, the youngest member of the squad, plays regularly for St. Patrick's Athletic and has been linked with moves uh, across Europe. James Furlong had an excellent uh, loan spell last year with Motherwell in Scotland, um, signed a new long-term contract with Brighton over the summer and would look to be pushed into the first team with the, the Seagulls and of course we can't leave out the man with the best name in football and Salmo Garcia McNulty who has left Wolfsburg in the summer and signed for PEC Zwoll who are playing in the, the Eredivisie in the Netherlands and made his first appearance for them just last weekend. I think you're probably looking at those four players the starting defence um, with maybe with Boson Lowell playing in front of them uh, and that's still leaving out, you know, Newcastle United's Alex Murphy and Sean Rowan, who's playing regularly for Lincoln City. I'm just looking down through the squad. Obviously, you'd be much more familiar than I would with a lot of these players. I think the standout for me when I saw the squad was definitely Sam Curtis, because obviously Sam Curtis has been hitting the headlines big time for his performances in the League of Ireland, and at such a young age, you know, there's no fear. Jim Crawford's thrown him straight in there. It's a testament to the League of Ireland this season as well, the standard. I think other players that you obviously would be looking at would be Andrew Moore and Rocco Vata. You'd nearly be looking forward to their games more than the senior team's games, especially you know another dust-up with Italy to come. It'll be interesting to see how they line up in the first game. With a new qualifying campaign, you know, in the early games of the campaign, it can be difficult to predict exactly who the manager would choose. I mean... If you look in midfield, Tyler Gooderham confirmed just this last week that his Irish passport had come through and he's been parachuted straight into the team. He is playing regularly for Oxford United this season. Uh, Zach Gilsenin, who I think some of us might remember from 10 years ago, was in the Barcelona Academy, but uh, he's come back from a seriously injury uh, last season. And uh, he's played twice for Blackburn. This so far this season, both games in the League Cup and the scored in both games, and and then you have uh, Adam Murphy of St Patrick's Athletic, well, who similar to Curtis has been linked with moves across to England. Rocco Vada at Celtic, who's who could possibly leave Parkhead before the transfer window closes tomorrow night. Uh, Killian Phillips, who's highly rated at Crystal Palace and has been sent out on loan again with Wickham Wanderers. I think the opposite problem that we have to the the senior team is that there's too much creativity in that midfield. Adam Murphy is possibly the only recognised central midfielder. Maybe Matt Healy, who's uh, gone from Ipswich Town to play in the second division in in Belgium with uh, Royal Franck Borain, um, and has scored twice already this season. Uh, one of the elder statesmen of the squad at 21. Exclusion-wise, is there a few names that you thought might appear that haven't popped popped up? I think Uh, back to someone like your favourite, Mibu Udebeko, who's been released by West Ham. He's gone abroad. Um, Is there anyone else that you thought maybe would make an appearance that hasn't? Are you surprised at? 
not really. I mean, the, the squad, it's, it's a strong-looking squad. I don't think there's anyone off the top of my head. I thought Jack Henry Francis at Arsenal had a chance of inclusion, but he actually got injured against West Ham about three weeks ago. I actually left the ground on crutches. We've moved on from Tom Cannon fairly quickly, I think, as well. Yeah, look, we don't know what's going to happen there. He's linked with a move away from Everton, uh, possibly to Norwich, which to me sounds very strange because he's uh, he's a goal scorer and Everton haven't scored any goals this season. And I, I'm not sure how the, the Goodison Park faithful will react to losing an academy prospect at a time when the team is crying out for a goal scorer. Well, he finished the season last season so well. You know, Preston wanted him back as far as I know. So it seems daft that they let him go. But then Everton are a bit of a basket case at the moment. So nothing would surprise me. If you look at the forwards that have been named in the team, uh, Sinclair Armstrong's playing regularly for QPR. Uh, Conor Carty playing for St. Patrick's Athletic. Adam Omaku has started scoring for Millwall. Johnny Kenny is around the Shamrock Rovers first team. Andrew Moran's gone out on loan from Brighton to Blackburn and has settled in almost immediately at Ewood Park. And um, it's good to see Tony Springett at North City back in the team. I mean, it's hard to argue Cannon getting into the team ahead of any of those, possibly Springett, who hasn't, um, you know, he's not hasn't made a starting position at Norwich uh, his own just yet. But he is getting game time, which Cannon isn't really doing at the moment for the Toffees. Yeah, you get the impression he's kind of done with underage football anyway from, from murmurs from the end of last season. So uh, I don't think he's he doesn't seem to be any loss, judging by your analysis of the forwards there. Not currently, no. But by the same token, the, the national side isn't really in a position to be turning down yeah, any promising player. I mean, there's are there six forwards named in that squad. He's possibly the seventh, maybe Callum Kavanagh as... Uh, at Middlesbrough, but he's just returning from injury. Did score last weekend for their PL2 side. There's probably a loss those two players, Kavanaugh and Cannon, have in common is that in that they're they're probably too good for PL2 football, but they're not quite ready for senior men's football just yet. Mm. Yeah, it's one to keep an eye on anyway. See if he moves in the next. Well, I think the transfer window is tomorrow, isn't it? So we might see a few moves. Sky Sports Newsday. Mm, yeah, get your yellow ties out. <laughs> I see Ryan Johansson has gone to Freiburg. Yeah, he's going to initially Ryan Johansson. Uh, he's initially going to play for their under twenty three side, and hopefully he make a push into their senior squad. Freiburg are playing in the Europa League this year, so there's a chance that with a stretch squad, he could play some Bundesliga or the in the the German Cup. I suppose there's a lot more. Um, we there was such a an issue made about the lack of Premier League players last year or last season and of course you came out with that unbelievable stat that we didn't have a, a player playing for the first time in how long I can't remember so with we've a good bit of a better presence there now this season with Doherty returning with Benny getting that that was a surprise move to Luton I think John Egan is back up there so there's a, there's a few more players up there this season so hopefully you know you'd like to see Benny actually lay claim to his place and, and be in, in that team every week because I, I, I think there's plenty to come from him yet there's a good bit of potential there yep I think excuse me in our next episode when we're reviewing the the two games the two qualifiers and we probably do need something to cheer us up a little bit 
we'll go through the transfers that did take place during the transfer window and maybe pick out a, a few more of uh, the outstanding ones that took place over the last three months. And uh, if James Crew of Pogue McGall is listening, we haven't forgotten this. Guarantee you, Colin gets sold before the start of the season and he's plays at the championship. And if he doesn't, I'll do a forfeit for you. And the next time I'm on. Okay, I remember that one. You know, Vera Powell's position has been has been in question since the end of the World Cup and possibly even before the tournament started. I think it's something that we should spend a little bit more time on that we just don't have for this episode. But my my initial reaction to the FAI's statement and to Vera Powell's response, which came out just before we started recording, is that the FAI actually did approach this correctly. I think they've learned from previous mistakes where managers were given contracts beyond tournaments and it came back to bite them. The review process seems to have been fairly thorough, but Vera Powell has alleged in her response that the decision was already made. My own opinion is that they were looking for reasons to keep her on. If we decide to 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 let her go, what reasons would we have to keep her on rather than if you decide to keep her, what reasons would you have to let her go? Uh, um, you know, they were they were looking for reasons not to do it and they either they didn't find enough or the reasons that they found weren't strong enough to keep her in a job and unfortunately uh, she's been uh, mutually consented and further endeavoured. So, you know, I think Leeson has been appointed on a caretaker basis. Um, uh, she's going to be leading the team out for possibly their biggest home crowd ever in a stadium against Northern Ireland in a couple of weeks. I hope to be there. Maybe when we op- review the opening round of the Women's Nations League, that might be a bit more appropriate time to, to discuss the uh, Vera Powell situation. I look forward to yourself and Mark getting into the nitty-gritty of it, basically going through the, the whole process from a very casual fan, I would say, I don't really have any massive opinion, but I would say, once you lose the dressing room, there's no coming back. It's the same in men's football. You lose the dressing room, you're gone. And she lost the dressing room, maybe before the World Cup, maybe during it, certainly after it. So there's nowhere she can go. So I I can understand the, the decision, rightly or wrongly, but that's just that's the way football works. Unfortunately, so, yes. We hope you've enjoyed uh, our review of Stephen Kenny's and Jim Crawford's squads for the upcoming qualifiers in September. We're looking forward to all four games for the the senior men's and under-21 squad, and as well as two friendlies for the under-19s against uh, Bosnia. The squad for that hasn't been announced uh, as we record, but we're hoping to see it early next week. I want to thank Phil for joining me for on the episode. Uh, you can follow him on at Phil Flanagan. Uh, you can follow me at Irish underscore abroad on uh, Twitter and Mastodon and Irish football statistics on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we'll be back to review the qualifiers in a few weeks time. Uh, we look forward to talking to you then. Take care.